This is Derek Bros with the Conscious Resistance Network, and today is Wednesday, February 14th, 2024, and I am still in San Francisco, California, as the fluoride lawsuit, the second phase of the fluoride lawsuit, has come to an end just yesterday, and uh, I'm heading home tomorrow. And in this video, I'm going to be basically be breaking down the last three days of the fluoride uh, lawsuit, the fluoride hearings these last two weeks. Um, I did a previous video on my website, theconsciousresistance.com, and on all my social media, sharing everything that we learned in the first seven days, um, six days, excuse me. And so we had a total of nine days the first week. There was three, and then a weekend, another three. And now this was based on Friday, Monday, and Tuesday of this week. Things have come to an end. And just I'll give you a very quick summary here in the beginning for those of you who are impatient and want to hear uh, the the bullet points right away, and then if you stay tuned for this whole video, I'll give you more of the details, the insights, the important things that I heard and saw and learned over the last three days. So right off the bat, the fluoride lawsuit is is on a break basically right now. Uh, both sides have rested their case. The EPA, the U.S. government, and the Fluoride Action Network, the plaintiffs, they rested their case last week. So both sides have presented all their witnesses provided the judge uh, Chen here in the federal court in California with the data that they believe proves their case. In the case of the Fluoride Action Network, they're trying to prove that fluoride is a neurotoxicant and affects uh, neurodevelopment in children, specifically prenatal and then even after birth. And the EPA is trying to prove that, that's, that, they're, that it's uncertain. Um, so that's where we've been. And as I said, both sides rested their cases, but things are not completely over. Judge Chen asked for basically for a week to go over all the data, all the information, and then get his questions together. And he's going to provide these questions to the uh, to each side. And next Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. Pacific via Zoom, uh, the final session will happen where both sides will get to present their closing arguments. And presumably the judge is going to ask these questions. And I will be reporting on that and live tweeting as well. That's next week. And then after that, <clears throat> the judge will take a break of days to weeks to maybe months to make this decision. <clears throat> we will find out um, some more details next week. But that's basically where things are now. So it's not totally over, but both sides have rested their cases. Witnesses were presented by the Flight Action Network and witnesses were presented by the uh, EPA. And so that's the short summary. And now let's get deeper into it. First off, though, I want to remind you guys to bookmark my website, theconsciousresistance.com. As you see, we have a new pop-up here, big, bold, beautiful, so you can't miss it. Subscribe to my email list, guys, if you're not already on our email list, uh, especially if you don't follow me via social media. If you're just watching my videos on um, one of the video platforms I'm streaming on, then you're going to miss a lot of my content. So you want to make sure you're getting the email. Sign up there. And today's post, you can find it right here, week two of the fluoride lawsuit concludes. And after this video, this will be updated with the video you're watching right now and also some of the relevant links. What we're mainly going to cover, though, is going to be coming out of a new article that I just wrote for The Last American Vagabond. It's not even published yet, so you're seeing it and hearing about it first here. It'll be published this evening um, or tomorrow at the latest. And I titled it, Week Two of the Fluoride Lawsuit, the EPA Rests Their Case and Admits Harm Related to Fluoride Exposure. I need to get rid of that comma there at the end. And um, <laughs> so we're gonna go over this. I'm gonna give you guys some of the highlights. Like I said, some of the more detail. I already told you what happened as far as like the judge is gonna review the evidence and where they're gonna get back next week. 
But today I want to get into showing you some of the big points that came out during the EPA's witnesses, including Dr. David Savitz and then Dr. Stanley Barone. And I want to make it clear, first off, right off the bat, just in case anybody's curious, because you may have seen that I've been interviewing the um, uh, the Fluoride Action Network's expert witnesses, Dr. Philip, Philippe Grandjean, Dr. Bruce Lamphere, Dr. Howard Hu, and then I interviewed uh, Brenda, who is one of the plaintiffs, and I interviewed Michael Conant, who's the lead attorney for the Fluoride Action Network. So I interviewed five folks on the side of the plaintiffs, uh, and I did ask um, Dr. David Savitz if I could interview him. He acted very nervous and said that he would have to talk to the lawyers. And then once his testimony wrapped up, he pretty much just got out of the right away and I didn't have a chance to ask him anything. Then I asked Dr. Stanley Barone, who was the final witness in person for the EPA. And he told me that uh, he gave me his email and said that he would have to have it approved by the EPA's communication officers. And so I might still send him some questions. I'm not really I don't have high expectations for that. And then I also did ask the attorneys representing the EPA or the Department of Justice, the U.S. government, basically, uh, one of them at least, uh, and uh, he declined, Brandon Atkins is his name, he declined to do an interview as well. So just so you know, I did my journalistic due diligence and tried to interview both sides. Just want to make that clear. Fortunately, only one side was willing to do interviews, and uh, that's the interviews that you've seen if you're following my work. But the rest of this, we're going to focus on some of the testimony that was provided by the EPA's witnesses. So Dr. David Savitz, he's a professor of epidemiology at the Brown University School of Public Health. He served as an editor of the journal, American Journal of Epidemiology and um, Epidemiology itself, and as a member of the Epidemiology and Disease Control Study section of the National Institutes of Health or the NIH. So some of the testimony, as I outlined here, um, had to do with like the discussion, the debate between each side had to do with at what level water fluoridation begins to cause neurodevelopmental issues, because nobody has at the moment been able to narrow that down. And the government, which is actually a step forward, the US EPA and their attorneys representing them, were willing, and there their were witnesses, were willing to acknowledge that fluoride does cause harm, neurodevelopmental harm, but the thing is they're saying that it's only at levels above two milligrams per liter of fluoridated water, not at or anywhere near the 0.7 milligrams per liter recommended by the CDC. So there, it's kind of even a step forward that the government is willing to acknowledge that, yes, okay, fluoride is clearly harm, causing harm, and I'm going to show you some of these statements from their witnesses, but at the same time, they're just only saying it's at these extremely high levels and so it's not relevant and that basically saying that the closer you get to 1.5 or anywhere closer to one uh, milligram uh, one milligram anywhere that's close to 0.7 basically that it's less clear and they're basically saying that there should be more studies including dr savitz he said uh he would place emphasis on the one to two milligram per liter whenever he was asked by judge tin uh like if he could describe specifically where does he think the harm is at. And um, he said that there should be more studies. So that's what the government's position is basically doing is trying to play this like, oh, we still don't really know, even though there's plenty of data and evidence and has been for years about fluoride's harms. They're basically just trying to say that we still don't know. We need to continue doing these studies before we go any further. So a lot of the discussion, as I said, was around that. And Judge Chen was asking uh, Dr. Savitz about 
the NTP's program, the U.S. National Toxicology Program, which is basically the part of the U.S. government that tried to produce this report, did produce this report, tried to publish this report in May 2022, which found that there is an association between fluoride uh, exposure and lower IQ in children. And as we now know through the emails that have come out through this lawsuit and through my reporting, that uh, the CDC and uh, members of the HHS have helped block the release of this study. And so we only have a draft version of it. Nevertheless, the judge was asking about this, and he was asking about the NTP's conclusions regarding fluoride's impacts above 1.5 milligrams per liter. And Dr. Savitt said, quote, there appears that there is this association of higher fluoride lower exposure, fluoride exposure and lower IQ across the studies. He also said he was critical of some of the conclusions drawn by the NTP researchers, but he was careful not to uh, disparage themselves. You know, so it was interesting the way that the scientists for the EPA essentially are it's like they're trying to they're trying their best to not necessarily attack directly the work of other scientists, but at the same time discredit it enough and paint enough doubt in the minds of the judge, the mind of the judge, so that he doesn't feel confident to draw a conclusion. That seems to be their whole strategy. It's uncertain, there's there's no clarity, and so you shouldn't make a ruling. Meanwhile, Michael Kahn and the Florida Action Network have argued, and I think quite successfully, that. There are other examples that they pointed to where the EPA themselves chose to act um, even whenever they couldn't, for one, when they couldn't clearly define where the harm started, for example, with lead, which now we know there's no safe uh, level of, of lead. And I think it's the same for fluoride. I think that's what the data is showing. But they that the EPA has acted when they in the past when they couldn't clearly define where the harm started, as is the case currently with uh, water fluoridation. And that in the past, the EPA has acted even whenever the harm was way below the levels that are believed to be safe, because as Michael Conant talked about plenty of times in this lawsuit and these hearings, there is this uncertainty factor that the EPA usually uses. They use an uncertainty factor of 10. So when they identify where the potential harm is, you're supposed to multiply that by 10 to get this uncertainty factor. And essentially the idea, at least as I understood it, is that you're trying to uh, look out for the most vulnerable populations, people who might have pre-existing conditions and um, comorbidities and things that make them more susceptible to something like a toxin like fluoride. And so you, you're not just thinking of the most healthy individual, you're thinking of the uh, those most vulnerable people. So that was also a big part of this discussion throughout the last couple of days. Um, so I want to go forward here because I want you guys to read this when it actually comes out. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to share the whole thing with you. But there were some other key points. What I'm showing here is that during Dr. Savitz's testimony, um, which I think the EPA believed he was one of their strongest witnesses, and he does have credentials and he was involved with the review of the NTP report as a member of the National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine, NASM. He was one of the reviewers who reviewed this NTP report. And in fact, it's, it was already kind of unusual for NASM to review the NTP report. This is not something that's taken place before. It was the first time that the organization has been tasked with doing multiple reviews on an NTP report. So we already knew there was some kind of something going on. And during questioning of Dr. Savitz, the EPA read them read him the NASM statement on the NTP conclusion. So this is what the National Academy of Sciences Institute of Medicine um, Excuse me, I wrote that wrong. National Academy of Sciences and Environmental Medicine, I believe, is what that's called. Um, 
that this is what Nasim said about the NTP report. They said, quote, the monograph falls short of providing a clear and convincing argument that supports its assessment. Essentially, Nasim, with Savitz's particip participation, did not endorse the conclusions of the NTP regarding an association between fluoride, low, fluoride exposure and lower IQ. So again, trying to restate to the judge and show the judge, look, Dr. Savitz is an expert. He was on the Nasim, uh, you know, the the group of NASM reviewers who looked at the NTP report and they said that they, you know, we shouldn't be, uh, you know, they don't endorse this conclusion of the NTP that fluoride is associated with lower IQ in children. They wrote even further in this review with Dr. Savitz's participation that the NTP report, quote, cannot be used to draw conclusions regarding low fluoride exposure concentrations, including those typically associated with drinking water fluoridation. Savitz said that he agreed with this conclusion. So again, this is like the EPA laying their case, laying the foundation. And then here comes Michael Conant with the Flight Action Network for his cross-examination. And he is, I think, quite a brilliant attorney and did a great job. He His job was to show that Savitz is not actually uh, an expert and wasn't an expert on neurotoxicity of fluoride while he was reviewing the NTP report. So Michael Conant spent quite a bit of time trying to show various potential conflicts of interest, as well as making it clear that and getting Savitz to admit in his own words that he was a quote newcomer to the topic of water fluoridation and, and neurotoxicity and uh, you know using his own deposition testimony that he had previously stated under oath many times to impeach him and to just impeach his, his testimony including one of the things Michael Conant pointed to was a 17 million dollar grant which Savitz received from the National Institute of Dental and Craniofacial Research which is a group that is very vocal and uh, their support for water fluoridation. And it wasn't just Savitz, of course, himself, who was part of a team, but nevertheless, his work over the years has benefited from this institution, this organization that is a heavy proponent of water fluoridation. And that is often how these things work. You know, you're receiving money to do the kind of work that you want. And at some point, these people are going to need your help and they might need you to push the certain opinion that that they find or at least don't draw strong conclusions or just come in and muddy the waters which is what it seemed like he was uh doing michael conant also asked dr savitz about a recent study this is a, a a newer study which found an association between fluoride and executive function for girls and the term executive function relates to cognitive abilities and when michael at michael conant asked if the study found a quote statistically significant association between fluoride exposure and the impact on executive function Savitz offered a qualified yes. He, you know, it's like, again, he, he wasn't being an easy witness, which is he's doing a good job. Uh, just sort of not asking questions, not answering questions directly and just being very slow in his answers and resistant to get to the conclusion that the person wants him to get to. Well, Michael Conant went and read directly from this study, which, by the way, you can see right here. It's linked in my article. I'll open it up for you real quick. This is recently published fluoride exposure during pregnancy from a community water supply is associated with executive function in preschool children, a prospective ecological cohort study. The study reads, quote, maternal exposure to drinking water throughout pregnancy fluoridated at the level of 0.7 milligrams per liter, which is the current amount recommended by the CDC, was associated with poor inhibitory control and cognitive flexibility, particularly in girls, suggesting a possible need to reduce maternal fluoride exposure during pregnancy. Pretty, you know, pretty strong words there. And that's a new study. And that was brought into this. So the second part of this 
or the second uh, witness that the EPA called was Dr. Stanley Barone, who also was a witness called by the Fluoride Action Network. They both used his testimony in different ways. Obviously, the Fluoride Action Network was trying to elicit testimony from him that made their case, and the EPA was doing the same. Dr. Stanley Brown is a science, senior science policy advisor with the Office of Chemical Safety and Pollution Prevention in the EPA. He was involved in the first 10 risk assessments conducted by the EPA under TSCA, the Toxic Substance Control Act. And when he was asked his expert opinion on the association between water fluoride levels and lower IQ, uh, Barone said there was, quote, a lot of uncertainty related to the epidemiological data and, quote, a lot of uncertainty for the NTP report. However, when he was under cross-examination by Michael Conant, Dr. Barone said yes when, he asked, when asked if he agreed that fluoride had been found to be a neurotoxin at certain levels. When he was questioned about the specific levels of fluoride in the water, um, the currently allowable levels, Barone was less willing to affirm this conclusion. Michael Conant said to him, quote, you agree that there is an association of neurotoxicity with water fluoridation above levels of two parts per two milligrams per liter. Uh, and he said at some level above two, yes. And this is where much of the debate remains. Both sides acknowledge that there is harms between harm related to fluoride exposure, but they can't agree on at which concentration level potential harm begins, where, you know, the Fluoride Action Network is essentially saying it, maybe it doesn't even fully matter. We can prove that there is harm, a neurotoxic harm. There is harm in all these other ways, thyroids, they, uh, issues they've been talking about. ADHD is a potential uh, concern. It should just be banned is, is kind of the point. And, you know, I'm not somebody who's uh, very much for, um, you know, government coming in and banning things and policing people in the nanny state and this sort of thing. But this isn't that this isn't that case. This is your tax dollars being used on a local level to go pay to putting this known toxin into your water supply. And um, it's being added for some alleged medical benefits, which are, I think, not not at all as strong as proposed and maybe even totally negligible and non-existent. But the point is, this is being, your money is going to putting this poison if you live in the United States. And now Canada, as I'm going to talk about in just a moment, Canada is considering doing this. Recently, there was an announcement in the UK that they're going to start fluoridating their water. This is why this, this lawsuit is so important and getting this information out is so important because they are still spreading this poison and can, trying to convince people that it's safe. And nothing could be further from the truth. So, okay, so this is a, a really powerful moment, and I want to pull up my my uh, Twitter real quick for you guys just to show you this picture of Dr. Stanley Barone, why I tell you about this. Because this happened yesterday, actually, uh, at the almost at the end of the final questions for Dr. Barone. Again, Dr. Stanley Barone, risk assessment scientist working with the EPA and being questioned by the Floyd Action Network and being questioned by um, the EPA. This is him right here. And as they put key moment in fluoride trial, EPA expert stunned by fluoride kidney question. That's him right there. And I want to share with you what happened. So as I wrote here, a particularly powerful moment came when Conant began questioning Barone about the kidney's ability to excrete toxins like fluoride. Conant made the point that individuals suffering from kidney issues may have a more difficult time excreting fluoride, which leads to increased buildup in the body. And he said, Quote, you testified earlier today that there may be oversaturation going on in the kidney at the 95th percentile level in the fluoridated areas. Do you feel comfortable as a risk assessor exposing pregnant women to a level of fluoride that is so high that the kidney is oversaturated? And at this point, Barone literally froze. He just sat silently on the stand 
processing this question from Michael Connett. And this, you know, to kind of paint a deeper picture, let me show you the tweet because they kind of give a little bit more of a play-by-play -play where I was just summarizing there. They basically, he asked him this question and Barone, he's totally silent for a good while. Um, at one point, the judge kind of intervened and, you know, because the, the EPA uh, objected, the judge let him continue the line of questioning. And basically, he just stood there frozen for a minute. And then eventually, like he mumbled something to the effect that, you know, he didn't he just didn't really answer. And at the end, he said, my his personal comfort level is not germane to the matter, which basically means like it's not relevant. He's trying to say it doesn't really matter what I think. It's like you're only being brought on the stand as an expert witness that deals with risk assessment. And Michael Conant asked you if you're comfortable as a risk assessor, exposing pregnant women to a level of fluoride that is so high that the kidney might become saturated. And he's saying his opinion doesn't matter. It was just a very powerful moment. And I'm hoping because there's apparently this program in the courts called cameras in courtrooms or something along those lines where uh, some of the cases they are posting um, recordings from within the courtroom. And this fluoride case is supposed to be one of them. So I'm hoping we're going to get video from the last week here or so and I, and if they do i will be finding that clip and i will be cutting it out and sharing it with you guys so you can literally see i think at least five to seven seconds passed literally silence in the courtroom as stanley barone is just sitting on the the uh the stand just pretty much frozen and not certain of what to say how to you know what to do he's just thinking it over and it, I mean, it was silent in the courtroom. It was a pretty epic moment. It was honestly beautiful. Um, so it was good to see a government uh, scientist, uh, somebody who maybe is not being completely honest, put on the stand, literally put on the stand and questioned about this in information. So last little sec section I wanna share here is about this late breaking study by Health Canada. For those who don't know, Health Canada is the federal public health agency for Canada. And they actually commissioned a study, a review of all the evidence on the potential human effects of health effects of fluoride. And this was actually conducted by Risk Sciences International with a contract uh, with Health Canada. And this is because, as I mentioned a moment ago, Health Canada is actually currently developing their water fluoridation policy as they plan to start recommending fluoridating more of Canada's water, which is not, most of Canada is not fluoridated at the moment. There are some places, but they want to change that and increase that and turn it into the United States. So while Risk Sciences International was commissioned by Health Canada, the agency, Health Canada, they chose not to publish the results of this review, this study. Instead, Health Canada organized their own, what's called an expert panel meeting on the health effects of fluoride in drinking water in June, 2023, to release their own interpretation of the conclusions of the RSI study. So again, Health Canada, government agency in Canada, they work with this company, RSI, say, hey, do a review of all the data on fluoride and how it relates to health effects with humans and, and drinking water. They don't publish that. Instead, they get an expert panel to review that data and then draw their own conclusions. And one of these people who was on the panel was Dr. David Savitz, the guy we've just been talking about a moment ago, who, again, has received millions of dollars from people who are um, or has received funding from people who are heavy water fluoridation promoters. And as I wrote here, the differences in the conclusions of the published RSI report and the Health Canada expert panel are stark. The RSI report concluded, and this is, see, I didn't link it here. Let me find it, see if I have it real quick. 
I don't have it in front of me, but I want to get it. Okay, here, let's go back to my Twitter real quick. I want to share this. I want you guys to actually see this. We'll actually read it from the study so you can see that it's not just my own words. And here's, as I tweeted earlier today, here, we'll read it right here. This study was published just last week during the fluoride lawsuit. It was discussed during testimony. And they say here, the available evidence demonstrated a moderate to strong magnitude of association between fluoride and neurocognitive effects with consistent evidence across studies for the impact on childhood IQ at fluoride exposures relevant to current North American drinking water levels, which is a pretty scary statement. They're saying directly, this is relevant. This isn't just like, you know, because again, a lot of the fluoride lawsuit is dealt with like, at what levels is it harmful? Well, this new study that was literally published just on the 6th of this month, uh, just a week ago, is saying that at levels relevant to North American drinking water levels, there's, you know, we're finding cognitive issues. And so that was the conclusion of the actual, this is the study here. This is being published by, if you go ahead and you search here, Risk Sciences, right there, you'll actually see this manuscript is based on a report prepared by Risk Sciences International under a contract with Health Canada to review current evidence on potential human health effects of fluoride, right? So there you go. That's what I was saying. So Health Canada didn't publish it, but the, the researchers decided to publish it themselves. And instead, Health Canada, they published this other document, this expert panel that has Dr. David Savitz, here it is, it was June 2023, Dr. David Savitz, and the report from the expert panel says, quote, there is not a sufficient basis at this time to recommend a specific point of departure and health-based value for neurocognitive effects. So clearly some pretty big differences in the conclusion. One clearly saying it, fluoride exposure reduces IQ levels in children, very clear. And then even more clear, at concentrations close to those seen in North American drinking water level. The other one says not sufficient evidence uh, basis at this time to recommend, you know, a point of departure, basically saying they can't find evidence for neurocognitive effects. <clears throat> and during his cross-examination, Michael Conant actually asked Dr. Savitz, <clears throat> excuse me, Dr. Savitz about his work on this expert panel for the Health Canada study. And if he knew that several members of this panel are water fluoridation advocates, water fluoridation promoters. And Michael Conant specifically mentioned a Dr. Stephen Levy, who has a background in dentistry and is a well-known champion of fluoride. Dr. Stavitz claimed to be unaware of whether the individual panel members had advocated for or against fluoride. But I wanna just show you, let me see if we can, here we go. Here's the expert panel members. Dr. Stephen Levy, University of Iowa, Department of Preventative and Community Dentistry, College of Dentistry, Department of Epidemiology, College of Public Health, and here's Dr. David Savitz right there. And uh, Michael Conant pointed out a few others. And then, you know, I want to mention here, you've got somebody from the World Health Organization, right? But we also have to remember, as I was told by um, Dr. Philip Grangine last week during the first week of the trial, that he said the World Health Organization had been infiltrated by the fluoride lobby that back in you know years ago when he was tasked with helping develop a document for them about fluoride, um, it was basically made clear that they didn't want his his data and that they wanted to you know claim that fluoride's harms only came at immense levels. And he had issues with that. And so he left. He also mentioned Harvard University and said that people people at Harvard had threatened him um, because of his work studying fluoride as well while he was at Harvard. So how much can we really trust this expert panel is the kind of the point I'm getting here. And that's what Michael Conant was doing, was showing the judge, judge, this panel that 
the came that Health Canada gra- gathered together to basically try to put doubt into the minds of the readers about the study they commissioned themselves is filled with people who have conflicts of interest. And uh, the final thing I'll mention is that there is going to be a third witness, but he, it's a pre-recorded video that the judge is going to watch in his own time. It's Dr. Jesus Ibar Luezia, and he uh, is was involved in a study in Spain, uh, looking at the Basque region of Spain. And this study controversially found that fluoride exposure can apparently increase IQ for boys, is what is claimed, which was totally at odds with everything else we've heard. And even the judge, Judge Shen, was also uncertain about this. He was asking Dr. Savitz about how these conclusions could be reached. He said, quote, does this not raise some question about whether there is something wrong with this study? He said, you got this result that seems totally counterintuitive and not consistent with the other literature. And Dr. Savitz said, absolutely, it raises the question. So even Dr. Savitz had to admit this study from this other alleged doctor, which was also recently published, and I think behind the scenes was probably some people wanted this study to be published so that the government had something to point to and say, hey, look, look, new data shows the total opposite. Fluoride's actually increasing IQ, which is just ridiculous. Um, but that's <clears throat> those are the highlights there, guys. As I said earlier, the judge now will review the case for the next uh, week and next Tuesday at 9.30 a.m. Pacific. <clears throat> it will be back on Zoom where the judge will ask some questions, the EPA will make their closing statements, closing arguments, and the Floyd Action Network will as well. And I will be uh, listening, I, I will be um, live tweeting, and then I will write another article for The Last American Vagabond in addition to the one that I just shared with you, which should be published later today. Uh, and so you will have an article for week one, week two, and then for the final day of this second phase of the fluoride lawsuit. And in fact, if you go to the last American vagabond.com, you look over here on TLAV team, you find my name, Derek Bros. You can see a list of all my different investigations, and there's been a lot of them. But if you go to the bottom right here, you'll see the fluoride trial, and you can click that. And that opens up every single article that I've done on the fluoride trial. And also, similarly, on the consciousresistance.com, if you scroll down to our categories here, you can see all the different categories for some of the topics I've covered over the years. You click on water fluoridation and it'll show you every single video, every report I've done on water fluoridation. I actually checked this recently. Uh, I think my oldest one on here is 2014 or 2015. So you can see I've been talking about this topic for a number of years and following the fluoride trial, the fluoride lawsuit since the beginning. And you can also expect to see me guys this coming week on several different podcasts. Some which are very big, which I won't say yet. Um, but um, if you know anybody else who needs to hear about this issue, please do rec- you know reach out to them. Tell them to reach out to me. Tell them to check out theconsciousresistance.com so they can get caught up on all the work I've been doing. And of course, tell them to check out The Last American Vagabond as we continue to try to um, bring awareness to this fact. Because you know th- this particular lawsuit is hyper-focused on fluoride as a neurotoxin. And, uh, you know, that is an important thing. Obviously, we're talking about development, neurodevelopment and how we're going to, you know, how we're going to be able to function in society. If you're losing IQ points, if you're losing cognitive ability, executive function, that's going to cause some problems in our society. But that's only one of the various harms that have been found in a number of studies for the last 70, 80, 90 years now 
in different parts of the world where fluoride has been studied is actually one of the most studied compounds in the world. And we have so much data about it showing that, as I talked about last week, that it stores in the bones and then in the pregnant mothers who are drinking fluoride, the babies are going to pull out that calcium and try to pull out the calcium from the mom's bones to make their own bones. But they're also going to be taking in fluoride directly through the placenta, through the blood brain barrier. And this is going to cause all kinds of harms. There's uh, thyroid issues, there's bone problems, there's liver and kidney issues, uh, there's the pineal gland, calcification, there's so many things going on with this compound that it needs to be out of the water as soon as possible. And I encourage everybody who is a, a hoping or a praying person to hope and pray that Judge Chen, after the next week and hearing the final statements from both sides, does what we all know needs to take place, which is to ban fluoride from being put in the water because it's a poison and it has been a poison for way too long now. So thank you to everybody as well. I want to mention everybody who donated to our crowdfunding campaign. Um, it's been, uh, let me check. I'll just go ahead and pull it up right now. It's been really awesome to see the support, not only the financial support, which I'm very grateful, obviously, because that means I don't necessarily have to spend all my own money to be out here in this expensive city in California for 16 days. Um, it's great to not have to spend all my own money to do that and to know that you guys care enough about this topic that you want to fund our efforts. So we've raised $4,626. The campaign takes some fees, so I'm guessing that's probably closer to $4,400, $4,300. Um, but nevertheless, we're grateful for all of that. Everybody who's donated, you can see just 14 hours ago, somebody's donating, thanking me in Spanish. You know, All these kind comments, I am reason, reading them. So anybody who donated 25, 50, 35, 20, hundred, all these, I, I've been reading them all. I really appreciate the kind words, the positive messages. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that because it truly has helped. You've helped pay for my hotel, for my um, flights, my round trip flights, and for my food while I'm here doing this work. I spent 42 hours in the courtroom over the last uh, nine days, and that's just in the courtroom. That's not counting. Coming back here to the hotel and writing articles and doing live streams like this and doing interviews and editing videos and things like that. So um, thank you again, everybody who has donated to this. You can find more at givesendgo.com slash fluoride trial. I'll put that in the links below as well. And again, my article, The Last American Vagabond will be published very soon. You can check that out and you can see all of my work on fluoride, the fluoride trial at theconsciousresistance.com slash water dash fluoridation guys. Thank you so, so much for your time, for your attention. As always, my friends, remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free. Peace. Since 2012, the Conscious Resistance Network has been an independent media organization focused on empowering individuals through education, philosophy, health, and community organizing. We work to create a world where corporate and state power do not rule over the lives of free human beings. Our motto is leading by example and helping others in their pursuit of freedom. Visit theconsciousresistance.com to find our articles, documentaries, interviews, podcasts, books, and more. Remember, you are powerful, you are beautiful, and you are free.